You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. You're listening to episode 324, and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Vladimir Dementiev is a lead developer at Evil Martians, where he focuses on Rails applications, terraforming, and optimization. Besides Ruby on Rails, Vladimir also actively maintains a dozen of open source projects, including AnyCable, TestProf, and Ruby Next. Welcome to the show, Vladimir. Uh, hi, Brittany. Hi, everyone. Greetings from Dead Night in Moscow. Oh, thank you for joining me <laughs> so late in the night. I really appreciate that. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. As I like to start off with the show, Vladimir, what is your developer origin story? Uh, so let me try to be short. So I started a developer career about 10 years ago when I joined a small startup as a content editor. I was doing some Flash animation uh, and creating learning materials. And then I found that in Flash, you know, it's Adobe Flash, uh, you can program animations and user interactions. So that's how I discovered ActionScript programming language. And I found it cool. Uh, and I still think it is. So it's that. But anyway, so I started digging deeper into it, then moved to sibling JavaScript, then PHP, you know, web development 10 years ago. And surprisingly, I found Erlang. And that's probably when I started doing something real. And I became a CTO of this startup and continue my developer and also manager career. You are probably the first developer we've had on the show that actually started with Erlang before Ruby. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's a not so common situation, but uh, I think I'm just was lucky to discover Erlang first. Uh, even at the time, Elixir always, already appeared, but uh, I started with Erlang and I still love it as like my favorite language, not Ruby. <laughs> yeah. Are there any things about Erlang that you would like to see appear in Ruby? Mm, no, I think uh, we already have Elixir, which, which tried to combine both. And I don't think it's, it was a good idea. So I, I would like Erlang to be Erlang and Ruby to be Ruby to not try to mix them. They're totally different for different purposes. That is a strong opinion and I like it. So Vladimir, what is your specific experience with Ruby and Ruby on Rails? So yeah, as many Ruby developers, I started my Ruby path with Rails. It's about five years ago, maybe six. And uh, yeah, six years ago. And five years ago, I already started contributing to Rails itself and I'm continue doing this periodically. And probably my most significant contribution is uh, Action Cable unit testing support, which was released uh, with Rails 6. And I'm still a big fan of the framework and um, I'm using it every day. So yeah, I'm a Rails guy. I love that. Hang on one second. So where did the idea of coming up with unit testing for Action Cable come from? Uh, well, it kind of came out of nowhere. I never used Action Cable in production uh, at that time. And actually, I'm not using it today. Never, <laughs> still never. So, But I noticed that every Rails framework, every framework which is a part of Rails, like Action, ActiveJob, 
you know, active record, whatever, all of them have some testing support. We know how to properly test models, how to test jobs and so on. But for action cable, we didn't have anything to test channels. And I found it kind of unfair. And I just decided to uh, build something to make uh, channel classes and connection classes testable, not only through browser tests, but also by pure Ruby test unit tests. So was it difficult to find code bases in order to test your new open source project against, or were you really relying on the community to help you come up with use cases? Um, so it was really difficult, especially I started this work about three years ago and action cable wasn't so popular at that time. And there were almost no open source projects using it. So yeah, I totally relied on the community. Uh, hopefully some projects uh, in my company where I work for, we're working right now Evil Martians we had uh, action cable experience and my colleagues uh, helped me with getting real life examples and making uh, this testing support more convenient for others to use just knowing how much work it must have taken in order to get enough use cases in order to test your library kind of makes your library even more special to me uh, it took about three years to make this feature merged into rails and uh, especially because uh, initially, it did not have a lot of traction, and I extracted it into a jam. And only after we polished this implementation, with the help of my colleagues, uh, community members, only after that, DHH uh, agreed uh, that this feature is cool and we need it in Rails six. <laughs> Something that is absolutely amazing. Well, congratulations on your contribution. Now, I've heard a lot of amazing things coming out of Evil Martians. I've seen great open source projects and content. So can you tell me more about Evil Martians? And are there any specific methodologies that you're known for? So Evil Martians is kind of small company, small team of experienced engineers, designers, and managers. Uh, we spread across the globe. So we have offices in Japan, US, and Russia. And what we're doing is usually we're helping big companies and also small startups to build new products or improve the existing ones, uh, usually doing some scale and performance related work. So I can say that uh, we act like you know, rescue rangers, like a Chippendale for major rails monoliths, for example. That's what I'm specialized in mostly. And we are fully remote. We open source centric and uh, we're very kind despite from our company name. So I have to ask, in your opinion, which can be a controversial opinion, what is the best pattern, monoliths or microservices? Well, personally, I prefer monoliths, uh, but uh, with you know little sprinkles of microservices, like microservices and satellites, because nowadays you can't really avoid services, micro or macro, whatever. But I don't think that you need to split everything into services. Having some core monolith, uh, usually a good idea. There could be situations when you want to use only microservices, but I, I never seen this in my life. 
So the reason that I brought you onto the show was because I watched your RailsConf couch session, which of course we'll link up in the show notes, but I know you spend some time during your talk talking about Rails engines, which is a topic that is super close to my heart for two reasons. First of all, I was a big fan of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast from way back when Sean and Kyle were hosting it and they would regularly talk about Rails engines. And secondly, at my current job, when I got there, it was a Rails engine mounted into a Rails engine, then mounted into a Rails application. And I had never used Rails engines before that. And so I have a lot of appreciation for people who build them and maintain them. And so I'd love to ask you, Vladimir, what would you say is a Rails engine? Well, that's a good question. And it's a hard one, actually. So let's start with a formal definition, probably. So Rails engine is just a jam which seamlessly integrates with the Rails application, with any Rails application, but actually not any in, in practice. Uh, another definition would be that Engine is a pluggable or embeddable Rails application. So as you already said, so you had Engine mounted into Engine and so on and so forth, like a Russian dolls. So yeah, and the Rails application itself is just an Engine actually. So technically, sort of from the code perspective, so we can speak of engine as a, like some isolated part of the application. Engines could be different, but it's better to think of them as smaller applications within applications. I think that's a really tidy way of putting it. And I actually really like that base idea that a Rails engine is just a gem that can be seamlessly integrated into a Rails application. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Now for me, when I started digging into Rails engines, I had to go really hard into figuring out how to test them and to look at all the documentation. But luckily for us, the Rails community is pretty great about having all of that kind of documentation happening. Now, I do wanna ask you more about getting started and maintaining engines, but we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsor, Raygun. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Raygun is thrilled to launch the next chapter in their ongoing support for application performance monitoring, Ruby support for Raygun APM. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. They have end-to-end -end monitoring with features like detailed trace transactions, dashboards, user experience monitoring, and more. Raygun APN offers a seamless integration with the Heroku platform via BuildPack, so you can get all the benefits of APM for your Rails application. To start your free 14-day trial, go check it out by visiting raygun.com rg ruby apn today. I will link all of that in the show notes. And again, thank you, Raygun, for sponsoring the show. Now back to you, Vladimir. What are some tips you have for getting started with and maintaining engines? Uh well, first of all, I would say um, check out my RailsConf talk, my recent Rails Couch edition Conf talk. And so, first of all, you should decide whether you need engines or not. And that doesn't depend on the, your code base, your current code base, but on your product, your application. What does it do? And um, you need to think about uh, logical separation of your business model. So if your business logic could be split into logical units, then it probably makes sense to use engines and to extract this logic into separated code, uh, isolated code places like engines. And um, if uh, 
your business logic is highly coupled, then just spreading the code across different champs won't help a lot. It, actually, it, won't, it would make it even worse. I saw some uh, Rails applications where engines were applied uh, kind of incorrectly just to, you know, to split models from controllers or whatever. So just like, I would say this kind of vertical engineification or whatever. So by layers, by abstraction layers, this is totally wrong. You should design your engines by um, business logic boundaries. And that's the first thing, not related to the code. Second thing, um, what I did in the past, I would start with uh, separating code base by just using namespaces, by using Ruby modules to uh, kind of isolate code. It won't be really isolated, but it could help you to later extract it into engines. So if you already have this namespaces in your applications, think about extracting them to engine. If you don't have, think about what you want to extract into namespaces. And finally, uh, when you decide to start using engines, you should think about, uh, I don't know how many, let's start counting the, f the following things. First, uh, dependency management. Uh, so engine is a gem and it has its own gem spec, gem file, and so on. But you need to keep the versions used in engines synchronized with other engines, with the root application, and you should think about how to deal with it. There are different approach, approaches to that, so I'm not gonna recall all of them here, but again, you can check uh, the RailsConf talk, the, uh, my examples repo for engine-based applications. I think that's gonna be a link uh, at the podcast page. The, so that's the first thing, dependency management. Um, other important things as, so one of the most important things is how to communicate between engines. And you should learn about uh, such things as publish subscribe pattern or even event sourcing. And for that, I usually use uh, Rails event store gem, uh, not in its natural form, but uh, as a wrapper I wrote for more Railsy. Uh, API called, oh, I forgot the name of the gem I wrote, probably it's called Active Event Store. Uh, yeah, I think the important thing is to figure out how you want to deal with uh, engine uh, to engine communication or engine to application communication. So sometimes you need to trigger some actions from one engine to another, but they're isolated. They are different gems, so they don't know about each other. That's where such things as publish, subscribe, or event sourcing uh, come useful. So uh, I usually use the gem I wrote. It's called Active Event Store. It's ba it's just a wrapper uh, on top of uh, Rails Event Store project. It's a pretty good project uh, providing event sourcing uh, tools for Rails and Ruby applications. So that's the second thing, how to communicate between these isolated parts. And probably what else? And another, that's pretty big question is how do you want to uh, extend engines from the application or configure engines from the application perspective? 
or from other engine and so on and so forth. So consider an example. Uh, one of the most famous engines in the Ruby world, in the Rails world, is Device. It's actually a Rails engine which is highly configurable and it allows you to you know to make a lot of different stuff it's it, it it's designed to work with different rails applications right and it provides some interesting techniques on how to make uh, configurable engines that's a good idea for application level engines as well even if you don't want to reuse them in other applications but that's another question to consider so how to uh, manipulate entities from uh, one engine uh, from another one so that's probably three main pillars of uh, engines and rails applications no that is so helpful i really appreciate you pointing all of that out so one of the things that you mentioned during your talk is the idea of a shared local gem can you explain what that means uh sure so the idea uh, appeared like out of necessity because uh, we had an application with about six or seven engines so they were isolated they were tested in isolation and so on and so forth and we had to use first of all the same uh, linters configuration for our engines for all of them and the best way to share this configuration was just to pack it into a specific gem and use for all the engines from this application but we didn't want to make this gem you know public gem or even private gem uh, hosted in some kind of registry because it always only was used for this particular application so we just put it in the folder called gems and that's why it's called local gem so it's this gem which is not published anywhere it's only used by this application another example is testing configuration we had a very extensive RSpec configuration with a lot of additional plugins and most of them were used by all the engines and to avoid this duplication we moved it into a gem and actually the gem I already mentioned active event store was initially just a local gem from one of the projects and then we extracted them into open source gem to reuse in different projects and the idea of shared local gems actually could be moved forward to the idea of private gems. So such things as, again, testing configurations, linting configurations uh, could be just hosted on some private package registry and reused between projects if you need it. But uh, we usually do not do this because even for tests and linters, configurations between projects arise. So it, it, it's sometimes it's better to keep them locally in the same repo and do not bother with all this registries and so and other stuff that makes a lot of sense so you mentioned that you have a project that has six or seven engines which is absolutely amazing to me i think at most i've used maybe two or three but what improvements have you seen from engifying your code bases well first of all uh, using engines encourage you to better design uh, relationships between uh, entities in your application because you can't simple you know call model from one engine from another engine because they do not depend on each other and you should 
think about whether they should depend on each other or not, and probably not. So you have to figure out uh, why this hack were required or why you was thinking about it. So I think it encourages you to write better code from the architecture point of view. So uh, the second thing is that uh, maintainability is much easier. So maintaining uh, Nginify code is much easier because you have tests that are isolated. You don't have to run large test suites. You don't have to run all the tests on your CI just because uh, one engine's code has changed, for example. And um, another interesting example of uh, up for, uh, upgrading dependencies. So for example, and we had this situation, uh, we needed to upgrade our rails from five to six, and with engines we can, we could do that do that uh, step by step. We migrated one engine to support both versions, so without without anything like dual boot or whatever, we just so engine is just a gem, and we can make gem compatible with both versions. With maybe some if and else inside, but anyway, and we can upgrade. Oh, we upgraded all engines step by step to Rails 6 uh, while making them compatible with Rails 5 and then just uh, switch the version for the main application, then that's it. That was really easy and that was kind of a you know, robust way of doing this. So there are more, so there are some kind of productivity uh, improvements like testing, upgrading, uh, dealing with all the code base and also as I said architectural improvements so the the code using components being engines or whatever else is usually uh, better organized in terms of rela internal relationships that makes a lot of sense well I always end the show the same way but with a wide variety of open source projects in our community what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Rails communities well, I, I definitely believe that we have future, and uh, I I think uh, even though our Ruby community and Rails community is not so young, it's kind of a stabilized. Uh, we're not hypey anymore, but we're still evolving. Still, a lot of new great projects appear, and Ruby Free is just around the corner. So I think. We have a bright future, at least for the next five years. <laughs> I can say 10, I, I'm not sure, but five years, definitely. Well, Vladimir, how can listeners follow you? Uh, you can find me on GitHub. Uh, my nickname is Pelkan, P-A-L-K-A-N. And uh, on Twitter, almost the same, Pelkan underscore T-U-L-A, Tula. That's probably the best ways to reach me. Well, I want to thank you for staying up so late for being on the show and for sharing all your insights about Rails Engines. I certainly hope that encourages listeners to give Rails Engines a try if they haven't to already. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.